Previously on the Nature of My Game podcast. You just heard that they're going to wait until dawn, bring up the blood to where you presume the coffin is, and see what they can do to revivify it. There's no way that the it that they are going to revivify is like some sort of sainted body who's going to bring peace and joy to the earth. Totally incinerating the body could be one of those ways. Fabio? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I like this. Some arson? Yeah. This is right up my alley. Oh, I guess we would be right there. I was going to say, I wonder if we, like, you know, wire it to blow and then try the stake, and if it starts to do something, just blow it. But I think we could kill ourselves, so. I'm imagining a stake that has the little, like, cartoon (laughs) wires coming off of it going to a big TNT lever. There's a, a team of four armed guards that are kind of guarding the mud path down below. They don't seem to turn around. You walk past them, and you kind of come around, and you do see the coffin sitting there. Is there anything around where we could reinforce the coffin lid? I don't think she wants whatever is in there getting out. It looks to you like the coffin has been totally destroyed and you do not see a body or a corpse or anything moving through the flames. And you see that you have received an email from Parker and it says, let's meet. Bucharest, Romania, May 1st. 2009. Hopkins leaned back in her chair, taking her hands off the keys of her computer for a moment. She took a deep breath and thought about everything that had happened over the last week. And to think, it all started because of an earthquake. Brilliant work, Cushing. You're a damn genius. Cushing, of course, wasn't his real name. She didn't know his real name. Hopkins wasn't hers either, but after the last week she had started to think of herself that way. She knew she needed to get the files into someone else's hands or she was going to lose it. She was too far down the rabbit hole, and if she didn't take a break soon, she'd never get back out again. Dracula, she thought. It's real. It's all real. How could it be real? Hopkins had been a good student at uni. She had studied English, which, of course, her parents had told her was a waste of time. And she had listened. She went into a more respectable line of work and had somehow found herself as an analyst for MI6. Her parents didn't know, obviously. They thought she worked for a Romanian tech company. But they were satisfied. But what she loved so much about studying literature was precisely what made her a good analyst. She understood that behind someone's actions, like in a well-written novel, were someone's thoughts and beliefs. And Hopkins was great at deducing thoughts and beliefs from actions, and that made her excellent at her job. Never though, for a single moment, did she consider that her studies would help her so directly with her work, that when she was reading Bram Stoker on the campus lawn, she was reading about something that actually happened, with a few particulars removed, of course. Two weeks ago, she wouldn't have believed it for a second. But now, she had seen it. She had seen the evidence, and she had discovered that she wasn't the first person to learn about it without proper clearance. The British government had wanted, and still wanted, to use vampires as agents. And they might just be doing it. Hopkins knew she needed to tell someone, and she thought she knew who. She grabbed her cell phone and dialed. When the housekeeper picked up, Hopkins said, John Quincy, please, in the sweetest voice she could muster. But when JQ came on the line, she got right to the point. Parker, I need to speak with you. It's important.
So I've definitely used this question at the beginning of episodes in the past, but I I just can't help myself because I like it too much, and I think it really kind of uh, fits as we kind of near the conclusion of this game. But I'm wondering, what do you think would be, in your mind, a good outcome for your character? Not a good outcome, you know, for this particular scenario, or even necessarily related to whatever it is that they've stumbled upon here. Just kind of in general, like, if, if you were going to write the script of this character's life and give them a happy ending, what do you think that happy ending would look like? Well, for Teddy, I think she's kind of resentful of her past a little bit, especially kind of what she feels are wrongdoings that she's done in the past. So I think big picture for her, I would hope that she kind of forgives herself for her past mistakes. She moves forward with her life. You know, she continues to practice medicine. And at this point, she's only become close with a few people. I I would hope for her that she maybe develops some closer friendships. Uh, (laughs) That would be nice. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) For her own happiness. I hope she just learns how to be happy. She learns to forgive herself and she just kind of, she moves forward from what she's done in the past. Yeah, I think that's, yeah. I I just, I, I, I picture that being a struggle for her. And like kind of a lifelong struggle, but one that's like it's within reach if she can like find a way to get there, which I think is what makes kind of her for me such a compelling character is like kind of the the get the, the get out at the end is clear. It's just, you know, what are the things that need to happen for her to be able to get there? Right. What about for Fabio or Gavin? I, I think for Fabio it's more he's already kind of settled down outside of this scenario. You know, he's got like a nice thing going, but it's more an outlet because boredom and its various trappings are tough for someone like him and with his skills and background. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I don't know. <laughs> he what just wants that to is. blow things up. Yeah. I, I think he's you know he's definitely got. I think his past too has a lot of you know used to have a lot of meaning. Maybe whatever he was doing there, <laughs> clandestine explosions operations. Um, <laughs> And like a little bit of that's missing. So some sort of outlet for Fabio that he finds and makes him a little more comfortable with settling down. Uh, I think for, for Gavin, the ideal here is that he finally finds the answers he is looking for about what happened to his sister. And in the ideal world, maybe this what we are engaging in now actually relates to that and helps direct him to finding answers that, that kind of finally give him the peace and the closure about that that he's been looking for. And if that happens, I think he can finally... He has a good relationship with his niece, but it's always a little bit... It's always a little bit troubled because of his obsession with what happened to her her mom, to his sister. So finding that would mean that he can finally kind of put a bow on it, and, and I think he would be able to... He'd still engage with conspiracy theory stuff a little bit because he enjoys that, but I think he'd be able to spend some more time with his niece and maybe finally retire to that uh, that beach in St. Thomas. And I imagine him in a, this little kind of beach house without a laptop and without a big board with a bunch of strings on it and everything. <laughs> yeah. He probably still has a little <laughs> notebook with some scribblings and some stuff that he's interested in. But that's it. Yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah, those those all those all really seem like very vivid hopeful futures for the three characters. And so uh, we, we will see whether 
<laughs> whether those uh, are still on the table after after today and and whether we can achieve them down the road. So the three of you are currently in a black SUV speeding through the night down the down the the narrow mountain passes of the Carpathian Mountains in Romania, having just blown up uh, a coffin which you had some suspicions contained a vampire or at least I think we, we kind of talked about this before like the people that were there believed it to be a vampire um, whether it, whether it actually is or not they believed it to be so and you were able to blow it up um, so you think you know at least uh, for the time being stop whatever threat that was and get away and as you kind of moved closer back toward civilization, you all got cell service again, and you got a return email finally. After about, you know, it really has only been about 36 hours or so, you get an email back from Harker that says, let's meet. It provides an address uh, for a church in East London, the Church of St. Mary the Virgin. And it seems to be that's where, that's where this Harker wants to meet. So what's the plan? I think we have to get out of Romania as quickly and stealthily as possible. Mm-hmm. I think we meet Harker. Yeah, I think so too. All right. All right. To London we go. So do you want to do you want to head back to the airport that you flew into and and just catch a flight to London, or do you tr- you want to try to be more covert than that? There's probably at least one other major airport that we can reach within a couple of hours, right? I, I would hope that maybe we can use a different one. Yeah, so I think you came in to Tergu Muresh, um, and so there's Cluj Napoca, um, which you could go to, or you know I think probably a little bit further away is is the Bucharest airport, which would be kind of the primary airport in Romania. And so yeah, so you you go to one of these airports, you are able to get tickets. Um, they're a little expensive on a, a last minute plane to London, and you know it's probably a really early morning flight right like you know this was all kind of happening in the middle of in the middle of the night so it's probably an early morning flight out of romania that gets you to london in the probably late morning once again you've had to you've had to abandon your your explosive devices and your weapons to be able to fly on a plane here um so any prep once you land at heathrow any preparations you want to make before heading directly to east london and to this uh this cathedral can I restock on my explosives? Yeah, I mean it'll take you. It'll, it would take you a little bit of time to do that to like you know to meet up with some contacts. Um, yeah. but yeah, you you can do that. Do we want to tell Olivia anything that we found, or do we feel like it's not worth it? I I almost feel like we owe it to her to tell her tell a little bit about what we found at least. She's so an investigative I. reporter. It's what you know. She got caught up in this from the investigating. I feel like she deserves to know something. Yeah, I guess one of us could text or email her or something like that yeah how, how much are you telling her do we want to just tell her that we corroborated her story you know we found some things without telling her specifically an offer to debrief her or something like that if she wants to know more yeah yeah i think that's a good way to go all right did teddy or gavin want anything you want to try to kind of use their own networks to pick anything up before heading to the cathedral yeah i'll spend a network point to get I don't know, a small handgun or something to arm myself before going to the cathedral. Yeah, you can you can have a small pistol if you want without having to without having to um, to spend a network point. But for anything heavier, you'd probably need to to spend. I would also 
just like to keep the uh, concealed handgun. I've got my switchblade on me still, presumably, hopefully. <laughs> that's my that's my signature weapon is just having the switchblade. So I wouldn't mind also having a, a concealed handgun of some kind. Sounds good. Yeah, it, it says in the rule book something like, you know, agents can... You know, you're all experienced enough agents that acquiring a, a, a light handgun is 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 very easy, but then kind of anything above and beyond that is is takes takes a little bit of work. Um, I'd also like to just have an eye and an ear out on um, international news reports, international uh, sort of like Interpol reports, anything like that, to know sort of if what happened in Romania has been started to like filter out into the broader international community and how it's being described, etc. Like what, what that uh, is sounds like from the outside, basically. Sure. So you don't hear at this point. You, it, it it doesn't seem to have have made its way to the news or even Interpol at this point. Okay. Did we learn anything from the bug that we left behind, or was that destroyed or something? Good question. Yeah, I think you probably. I think you probably. You know, you, you if you if you checked into it on the drive, you would have you would have heard lots of shouting and people trying to kind of manage the situation, and then you would have lost connection at a certain Signal point. Signal as we left, sure. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Then the only other thing is, I just want to be us to have a nice big black SUV to be driving around, <laughs> <laughs> driving around London. Heck yeah! So sorry. So Teddy, did you do you want to stick with the light pistol or do you want to go with something heavier? Um, I'll, I'll grab something heavier. I don't know if I'll go into the church with it, but maybe just have it in the SUV. Sounds good. Sounds like a plan. All right. So you, uh, you, you try to, or you start to make your way into East London. By the time you've flown and acquired, um, you know, kind of your, your items and things, it's probably early afternoon, though it is London. So it's a, it's a gloomy day as it, as it so often is in London. So, um, even though it's mid afternoon, it's still kind of. Still kind of a gray outside and, and, and a little bit dark and windy. And so you start making your way there, and I think you kind of very quickly, uh, Gavin, start to notice a few things um, as, you're, as you're making your way there. You, you cross the Thames to, to get where you're going, but you also cross a few smaller rivers and you know just in in your head you can you can feel like you're you're crossing you're crossing moving water you're going to consecrated ground there's there's water around like your like this person thinks that they are being pursued by vampires right like they're they are taking they are taking vamp at least legendary vampire precautions mm-hmm. to try mm-hmm. to you know th- this person feels like they like they are in some sort of imminent danger and mm-hmm. I think all three of you, from either Tradecraft or Shrink, you're just getting the feeling that this is sloppy. This happened too quickly. He gave you an address. He's telling you to meet him here. It just, it, you know, it's a church. It's not like a necessarily like a well-scouted out area. Mm-hmm. And not a particularly private area. Not a particularly private area. So I think you're all kind of getting the sense that, like, you need to get in. You need to get whatever information he's going to give you. And you need to get out. Okay. All right. So you arrive at uh, the Church of Saint Mary the Virgin. Who is it that has architecture? Is that Fabio that has architecture? Yes. Yeah, I have two. All right. So you would know, uh, especially as you kind of look at this church. It's it's uh, in the Victorian Gothic style. Um, there's a mess of spires and gargoyles. 
Um, it looks medieval, but is only actually around 150 years old. Um, and as you as you approach, who has outdoor survival? That's that's Teddy, right? Teddy, yes. Teddy, you you notice as you're as you're pulling in. Well, you you all notice that the area around the church is relatively empty. There's just a single car parked outside in the gravel car park by the graveyard. You, know, you would assume that whoever Harker is, this is probably their car. Um, you see that the door to the church is ajar, and there's light streaming out of it across the stones leading up to the door. And Teddy, you kind of look up. You're kind of like examining this building. You're you know you're probably doing a quick you know scan of entrances and exits, right? Like you like that all three of you are, uh, that all three of you would normally do when entering a situation like this. And you see that there is, you know, it's 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 unclear to you whether this is just ominous or whether um, it's something more. But there's a, a pretty large bat circling around the spire at the top of the church. Before we go in, I'll just kind of look at both of them. And soul feels wrong, doesn't it? Does. So are, are you three like parking and getting out and going right into the church? Is that is that your plan or, or something else? Are we walking into a trap here? I get that sense, yes. <laughs> do we have time to, like, just do a quick surveillance of the area? Like, anything else out of the... Like, you know, not just pull up and walk in, but, like, you know, walk around it, maybe drive by, that kind of thing. You're not sure. You might have time to do that. What do you guys think? Couldn't be that long. Yeah, I... I'm concerned this could be Bosnia all over again. You don't see any snipers sitting anywhere, do we? <laughs> yeah, that's my concern. Yeah, you you can you can all you can all do sense trouble tests if you want to like if you want to to try to like actively look for like snipers or or things like that. Other threats. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I like that. Other threats than the giant bat. <laughs> it's not a, it's not a, it's not a giant bat. It's just like a it's a it's a slightly larger for it's, its like size bat. Larger than you would expect bat. <laughs> It's <laughs> Teddy just immediately being like, that's the threat up there. <laughs> the bat. The human-sized um. bat that's circling the spire. That's the, that's the threat. Uh, yeah, would you all like to make sense trouble tests? Yeah, I will spend four out of my sense trouble pool. I rolled a two, so a six. Okay, the other two of you? I have one, so I'll, one left, so I'll spend it, I guess, might as well. And I rolled a four, so five total. Okay. Teddy? I'll spend two. I have two. And I rolled a four. Alright, so so six six five. You're you're still you're still in the car, I think, when you're doing the sense trouble test and you're you're kinda of driving up. It doesn't seem like there's any really location for a sniper, though you all you know, you, you maybe pull out binoculars or the camera and kind of scan the, the, the few areas that a sniper might set up. You don't see anything like that, though obviously you're all a little paranoid about the potential for snipers, but you don't see anything like that. And, you know, other than the kind of uneasy feeling that you have in this whole situation, you don't see anything that gives you any extra pause. There there are other exits to the church. It's not, you're not like funneling yourself into, into a building that only has one exit. You know, you don't see anybody that might, that looks like they're like tracking you or anything like that. It doesn't seem like there's anything that's rigged to explode, at least from what you can tell at this point. Like, at least from that, from that perspective, things seem, seem okay. I should have asked one other thing. Can I still have my stakes with me? Oh yeah, you can definitely still have your stakes with you, 
I, you know, you you probably can take. Th- th- that's probably not the first time that the uh, Romanian TSA were obviously it's not the TSA, but like the <laughs> Romanian equivalent yeah. of the TSA workers have seen people carrying like sharpened Steaks sharpened and garlic sticks and... out of uh, out of Romania. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So would you like to would you like to get out of the car and take a and and kind of look around, or do you want to go directly in? So. Obviously, there's the front way. There might be a back way. Yeah, I wouldn't mind taking extra time to just kind of survey the outside, see what our entrance and exit points are. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sure. So you start to walk around the cathedral. I mean, it's a, it's a big building, right? It's a, it's a, it's a full-size cathedral. And you make note of, seems like you walk around one side. Seems like there's a side door over there. Keep walking around. There's a there's a smaller door. It doesn't seem like you know congregants would use it, but there is a there is kind of a courtyard and a small door in the back. You start making your way around the the other side. Seems like there's a there's a side door that probably goes into like a side annex of the of the main sanctuary over there as well. Um, so there are other doors. Do you go into any of them, or are you gonna loop back around all the way to the front? For dramatic effect, I want to come in through the back and like enter through the altar. And then have Harker just spin around. <laughs> Should we split up and go in different doors? Or does that sound like a recipe for disaster? <laughs> we could do that, too. Could do that. Let's do it. Okay. All right, so it sounds like Teddy wants to Teddy wants <laughs> to go through... The back. the back door. Teddy wants right. to go through the back. and it. Yeah, okay, okay. So Teddy wants to go through the back. Where are the other two of you going in? I'll go in the front. Fabio's not always discreet. So just I'll just do it okay. normally. I try to decide if I go in with Fabio or go in like the side door so we all come in different <laughs> come in from different ways. No, I think I'll go in with Fabio um, uh, so that it's less about surrounding and more that uh, Teddy is like a surprise. <laughs> sure, sure. All right, so Teddy, you kind of walk through this back courtyard and open up the door and it, it leads into like some back hallways and like you know maybe the sacristy is back here and like you know some maybe some offices or something like that and so it takes you a minute to kind of work your way through and uh and make it out of the sacristy door onto the altar level and you see a, a pretty horrifying sight when you enter the the sanctuary lying across the altar with their back clearly broken and their throat torn open is uh, a priest. You know, you don't know much more about him other than the fact that he was a priest, but yeah, he is he is lying sprawled dead with his back broken and his throat torn open across the altar. Um, so I'm going to have to make you make a, a little bit of a stability check here. Okay. All right, so I have two points left in stability. How many points of your current stability would you like to spend? Remembering that at a zero at zero stability, you start taking some some penalties. So I'll spend one for right now. Okay, uh, go ahead and roll. I rolled a one. <laughs> All right, so you take you take three points of stability damage from seeing a particularly grisly murder site, um, which okay. I think this I think this would qualify as. This thing. <laughs> oh yeah, it sounds gnarly. So what 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 does that put you at for stability? So I do. I'm at negative two, I guess, right? Because I yeah, lost so you one. you spent one point, and then you and then you and then you lost three. Yeah. Okay, that means you can't make any investigative spends, and all of your difficulties go up by one. So you and you and Fabio are both shaken at the moment 
Um, Gavin is is somehow holding it all still together. Probably mostly because he he was knocked out before he I had was to un- witness. <laughs> yeah. I was unconscious for most of it. And so as as you're coming upon the scene in the sanctuary, Fabio and Gavin are continuing to loop their way back around to the front, and you kind of start to make your way towards the entrance, but something catches your attention up kind of near the bell tower at the front of the cathedral. You see a man emerge from kind of the open area. He's like kind of standing next to or a little bit below the large bell that's up in the bell tower. And um, he's an older man. Uh, looks like he's he's in his mid-50s. Maybe looks like he's even a little bit older than that. Gray hair. Um, looks like he's kind of been through the ringer in his life. You know, not particularly frail or particularly strong. He's wearing like a, a brown sport coat and a and a like a sweater vest, like a sweater cardigan vest underneath and a bow tie. And he he's clutching a briefcase and he looks pale, terrified, and honestly like someone who's being hunted. You know, you don't know for sure, but the the thought crosses your mind that this person could be Harker. And in the moment that it takes you to to look up and notice him and just kind of register what you're seeing, you see there's something behind him. It almost feels like there's this growing darkness behind him. It's darker than you think it should be. Uh, looking up there, you know, it's a gloomy day and there's some shadows, obviously, because this is kind of in, in interior and exterior. But there's there's a darkness kind of growing behind him. And it in, a, in an instant, you see a pair of red eyes gleam from that darkness. And the man steps off the ledge and falls and slams into the windshield of your SUV and is clearly dead. So I need Fuck. I need the two of you also to ro- to to make me a stability <laughs> oh, check as you this see this. This is so gruesome. Oh no, that's very bad. <laughs> so I forget. Am I allowed to spend even though I'm in the negatives? Uh, yes, you are. You Despite are. the immense risk <laughs> involved yes. in doing so. <laughs> Ooh, I'm going to spend two for my my check. I rolled a six. All right, so you are, you are still holding it together. Gavin is still holding it together despite all of this. Maybe because he, he is, he's the one that believes in this most, right? Like, you've yeah. spent years convincing mm-hmm. yourself that this is all mm-hmm. real. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to spend one. Just so you know before you kind of make the decision, negative six is the next spot where, uh, where a, a different effect happens, a more serious effect happens for right. you. Okay. Yeah, I'll just spend one. I'm at minus one now, so... Oh god, I rolled a one. <laughs> oh god. So that moves you from minus one to minus two, and then another three. So you're at minus five, but you are still oh, shaken no. and just on the edge. It's it's been a bad couple of days for Fabio. He is really <laughs> he is really feeling it. He is clinging on. Do we notice anything about the bat? Is the bat still there? Or is it gone? Uh, you look up and you do not see a bat. Mm. circling up ahead. Suspicious. All of this is happening so quickly that even trained agents like yourselves, like this is all happening before you have any opportunity to react. And in that moment, another man steps out onto the ledge. And this person is, he's tall with a black mustache, kind of ruddy features. 
and there's an ugly scar that is blazing red across his forehead, almost as red as his eyes, which glow with an unearthly light for an instant. And as you're probably, uh, you know, like moving to react, a fog starts to kind of lift from the ground, and it's starting to kind of swirl around your legs. And you look up, and it's also starting to swirl around him, and it's becoming very heavy, and he, in an instant, disappears from view. Do you have military science, Fabio? I do. I have one. Okay. And and obviously, um, we know that Gavin has vampirology. Mm-hmm. Your vampirology and your military science are both kind of setting off alarm bells in your head. Every instinct in your body is screaming at you, at both of you, to run right now. Like, whatever that thing was, it is way beyond anything you have ever seen or could deal with in this moment. You need to get that briefcase that was in Harker's hand and get the hell out of this place. So what would you all like to do? You obviously, Teddy, don't know any of this is happening yet. You're seeing your own grisly sight inside. <laughs> I hope they don't leave me. <laughs> That's my only hope God. right now. <laughs> yeah. Can we yell for her? Like, hey, sure. some some shit's going down. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, we, we just need to, like, yell out to Teddy and grab the briefcase and get in the other car. Yeah, Teddy, you hear you hear shouts from outside from both Gavin and Fabio yelling at you to 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 get out of there. And as you're doing that, you start to see that like that that same fog that they were starting to see from inside is starting to come in through the main entrance and kind of also roll in from an open door in the back of the church that you think kind of leads up to like where the organ room would be and where the bell tower would be. This fog has like started to roll into the building. What do you do? From all directions or just the one direction? Like the direction that I'm heading in? It's it's coming in from the front and from and from the 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 door that leads up. And you also start to see that it's kind of seeping in from the side doors that are both closed. So it's all just kind of converging on me? Yeah. Does the cathedral door open in or out, out of curiosity? Uh, I think they open in and they are, it, they are open, or at least it's it's like slight, it's a jar, at least. Okay. <laughs> I, I, um, I know what I would like to do in this moment, which is just go bloody hell and I get behind the wheel of the car, the other car, and I want to, if I can drive it up the steps into the cathedral, <laughs> assuming it's why the doors are wide enough, just to get up to give, to give Teddy a, a closer place to run, to get her to run to the car and we can try to get out of here. Yeah, absolutely. So you like, you and Fabio kind of get into, into the seats of this other car. You've grabbed the keys from the pocket along with the briefcase from the, the guy that, that, that fell from the, the bell tower who you, who you assume to be Harker. And you kind of like use, you put two wheels along the handicapped uh, walkway and, you know, the two other wheels kind of like bang up against the, the steps, but you're able to drive the car up to the front. And uh, so, Teddy, you see this car kind of like drive its way into like into the... Uh, the foyer of the church and like starting to move toward the the main aisle. So I try and sprint towards the car and try and get in as fast as I can. Is that not possible? Oh yeah, no, it, it's possible. So you like, you run down the altar steps and this the fog is starting to really kind of like fill the cathedral at this point. And you, you're like running through the fog and it's getting even harder to see the car. And you, but you're, you're able to reach it and you, you kind of fling the back door open and, and close it. <laughs> 
Yeah, I put the car's lights on just so to make it not her, not the brights because it's fog, <laughs> but just the regular lights so that she can see it a little better. Of course, of course. So then what do you do, Gavin, once she's in the car? All right, I'm going to pull out and I would like to use my MOS right now of driving to get us the hell nice. out of here as quickly as possible. Yes, yes. So you you pull out and you kind of like you start to kind of do the three point turn in the gravel at the front. And off in the distance, you see that there are two black vans with tinted windows, like racing down one of the streets, kind of heading in the direction of this cathedral. Um, and you kind of peel out and start driving away, and they, they pursue you. And you, you drive for a while. And so describe a little bit what, what this kind of like drive chase for you looks like, or, uh, or Gavin. So... Despite I, it's going to endanger some people, but I'm going to stick to the London streets for a while because there's enough of them and they're windy enough. And I've driven these streets plenty being from England. Um, I, I kind of know London pretty well. And so I am doing alleys, side streets, you know, cutting back around onto the same route that we took, coming around, going back across, taking the bridges like I, I'm it's circuitous, but I'm also making sure I'm making progress in one direction as we do this to kind of get eventually get out of the city. But it's a lot of cutting down alleys and going through winding winding routes, etc., to get away from these guys. Especially if there's any kind of spaces where I feel like this car is maybe a little smaller than the SUVs that I might be able to kind of squeeze down and get through. Awesome. And because you used your MOS, you know, you it, it takes a while. You have to make some kind of daring maneuvers like you described but you are able to escape pursuit of these two uh, black vans with tinted windows and you know i think the three of you together are able to kind of identify a place like a an underground car park or something where you're able to kind of dump this car and you you uh you make your way out of this perilous situation when you when you finally get to a spot where you at least feel comfortable enough to kind of rest a little bit and recuperate, you you open up the the briefcase that the man who called himself Harker had and died to kind of get into your hands. And there's two things inside. Uh, one is a flash drive, and the other is a very old book. It is, uh, it's got a purple title, like lurid yellow binding, and not on the front, but on the spine, it has the word Dracula by Bram Stoker written on it. But when you open it up, and Gavin even mentioned before that he had his own copy of Dracula that he brought with him, it is full of annotations, scribblings, and it seems like multiple people over the years have have made all sorts of annotations in the margins and gavin in fact as you look even more closely you know there there's there's all these annotations but what's more there are sections of this book that are not included in the version of dracula that you have that you brought with you there's extra sections and these extra sections make it seem much more like this was kind of a an after-action report of something that actually happened rather than kind of a fictionalized story. And there are some other changes made that make it seem like that as well. And so 
uh, as we move forward in this in this game, um, you know, kind of stepping out of the narrative a bit, and as we move forward in this game, I actually have for the three of you a real file that has the entire text of Dracula plus all of the annotations plus the extra sections, and that's actually what's on the flash drive in there, an electronic version of it. And so to kind of uncover all of the stuff that's going on, you three get to dig into it and decide whatever leads you want to follow up on, which is potentially the best RPG supplement that's ever been made. <laughs> that's that's <laughs> incredible. That is incredible. <laughs> I have to read a novel again. <laughs> so that is the that is the conclusion of our particular scenario. You You three have managed to survive and acquire this kind of long existing piece of piece of evidence that gives lots of details on what actually happened with Count Dracula. And so that is kind of where we're going to close this particular part of the story. But I do want to give a chance uh, for each of the three of you to kind of end the story on your own terms. And so um, in whatever order you want, I would love to hear like over the next week or the next month, um, kind of in, in the in the next little bit of your character's life. What do you think they do um, after having experienced this? You know, like, is, is there a is there a particular person that they want to have a conversation with? Or is there is there something in particular they want to do kind of coming out of this experience? So Gav, over the next course of the next few days, he thinks for quite a while. And eventually he sits down to writing a letter. And it's actually not a very long letter. He takes some time to think about what he wants to put in it. But it ultimately ends up being very short. And what he uh, what he writes is to his niece. He writes, Ella, I don't want you to be in any danger. I think you'll understand. I love you, sweetie. Uncle Gav. And in with the letter, he includes his own copy of Dracula. Because he thinks that she would know. He would never part with this copy of Dracula unless... There was something very serious that he was involved with. And that's that's it. That's what he wants to do over the week. Amazing. Thank you. I think um I think Fabio goes goes home. He confides in his girlfriend most of what happened, sparing some of the more absurd details that she may not believe. But she always you know, she entertains him with his extracurricular activities. <laughs> and I think after doing all of this, um, you know, he's always been a little bit inclined toward conspiracies, not as much as Gavin. So um, gradually over the next week, you know, he opens up his computer. Um, it's 2009, so whatever, the 2009 version of the web. And starts to poke <laughs> around and read up on Bigfoot a little bit, you know, maybe a, a next step for him. He's starting to do some own re- some of his own research, <laughs> starts to compile a little dossier. Maybe buys a couple plane tickets a few months away for the Pacific Northwest, and that's his direction now. Love it. So I think for Teddy, her next step would be to fly to the United States. I think she wants to get in contact with her mentor. She wants to go see her mentor and confide in him. I think she would be willing to confide in him kind of everything that they've they've just been through and everything that she now has to kind of evaluate and kind of get his take on the situation. I think she would be interested in finding more. I think, I, I don't know if she stays in the United States and kind of spends some time with her mentor, if she flies back to Sweden. But I think that would be her first step is just confiding and figuring out what what to do next. 
So I think that your your mentor, Dr. Jerry Marlowe, you know, he has always been someone for you who has, you know, he's been a confidant because he's been involved in so many of the same things that you've been involved in that he's, you know, he's allowed to know and is more accepting of, you know, many of the things that you aren't really able to tell anybody else. And he listens to you. He's a good listener. He, he um, you know, you're probably doing more talking to him than, than nor- is normal in this conversation. And he's just listening. And he, he says, Teddy, I, I've seen a lot of strange things in my life, but this may be the strangest. But I have to tell you, I believe you. I believe, like I think that you do, even if you don't want to admit it, that this it may be just maybe a bit too crazy to not be true. And if you'll have me, I would like to work with you on this. Would you, would you be willing to have me do that? Dr. Marlowe, I would be honored if you would join me on this quest. Yeah, so he, he, he offers, to, he offers to, to have you stay, he, that he'll kind of set you up with a, with a place to stay in the area. And because uh, he's based out of Columbia or at Columbia um, University. And so he, he offers to set you up with a place to stay in the New York area. And the two of you dive into what is what is titled the Dracula Dossier. And that is where we are going to end our story for now. Gibraltar, May 12th, 2009, two days earlier. Georg Rudek hadn't been in the field for quite a few years. He much preferred the relative luxury of connecting operatives with employers and rarely having to get his hands dirty. He'd paid his dues, and now he had moved on to a different stage of life. Well, he had moved on. If it wasn't for that botched job in Bosnia, he wouldn't feel so much guilt, and he wouldn't be where he was. I can't wait around to see if I sent those three into a trap again. I can't. I wouldn't be able to live with myself. Just yesterday, Rudik had sent three operatives into Marrakesh, and over the past 24 hours, he'd started to hear strange rumors of a secret MI6 operation in Gibraltar, something connected to a journalist and to Marrakesh. He knew it wasn't a coincidence, and he knew he couldn't just ignore it. So he flew to the rock, pretended to be a spy again, and snuck out to find what he could. That's what had led him here, inside a tunnel bored into the surface of the island where someone was conducting covert operations. Or at least they had been. When Rudek had found the location this morning, it was abandoned. The trip hadn't been for naught, though. Rudek had managed to find a bit of information that whoever left in such a hurry had left behind or forgotten to destroy. Someone, and it looked more and more like it was British intelligence, had been running a secret operation down here, and by the looks of it, had been doing so for more than a century. Rudek had even managed to find a name. Operation Edom. But what was most disconcerting for Rudek was that the most recent information he could find was focused on Olivia Leo and a dig site in Romania. It might not be a trap, but that didn't mean his operatives were any safer. And once again, it might be all his fault. Just as Rudek was wrapping up, he heard a loud clang from near the entrance of the tunnel. His mind flicked back to the heavy steel gate at the front that he had needed to hack to enter. Someone was here. He swiveled his chair around to another of the left-behind computer systems, and tried to pull up a security log. If someone had entered using their own security clearance, he might be able to find out who, and he'd know how much danger he was in. It didn't take him long to pull up the security information. The swipe card used to enter belonged to someone named Jeff Holloway. He didn't recognize the name, which was good. The more dangerous they were, the more likely it was that Rudek knew them. 
Just as Rudek was standing, trying to figure out what he might be able to take with him before making his escape, the lights in the entire facility went out, and Rudek was surrounded by darkness. And that is when he heard the footsteps. Birmingham, England, June 2nd, 2009. Now, Ms. Webb, we can do this the easy way, or we can do this the hard way. Which would you prefer? Ella Webb looked at the cliché of a man sitting in front of her, and despite the seriousness of the situation, had to stop herself from laughing. He can't actually be serious, can he? The easy way or the hard way? I don't know what to tell you, sir. I haven't seen my uncle in months, haven't heard from him in weeks, and I certainly don't know where he is. And honestly, it doesn't really sound like you even know if it's my uncle that you're after, or what you're after him for. The man, dressed in a gray three-piece suit that looked like it probably cost more than her apartment, appeared taken aback by her accusation. I doubt you can afford that suit based on just your government salary, Ella thought. The hard way, then. Get to it, lads. At that, the man signaled to the other officers that were with him, and they began to search Ella's apartment. If you're hiding anything, Ms. Webb, we're going to find it, rest assured. And when we do, we'll see if you're a bit more willing to talk then. The truth was, Ella didn't know where her Uncle Gavin was, but she had heard from him more recently than she was letting on, and she did have some idea what he was doing. But these fools wouldn't find out from her, she was sure of that. She tried to look calm as she watched the men start to tear through her drawers, cupboards, and closets, throwing items on counters, tables, and the floor without any regard. She was sure they wouldn't find anything, because there wasn't anything to find. Or was there? In a moment of panic, Ella looked down at the pile of mail sitting within arm's reach at her kitchen table. Sitting there, only partially hidden beneath a few magazines and envelopes, was a well-used copy of Dracula that Uncle Gav had sent her just more than a week ago. Amid the fear that was rising in her stomach at what they would do if they found it, could they track him? Would they know he had sent it? Would they know what it meant? She couldn't help but chuckle that the most important piece of evidence had been sitting right under the man in the suit's nose, and he hadn't even thought to look. When the men had stepped out of the room to search the rest of the apartment, Ella reached behind her and grabbed a roll of masking tape that she had sitting on an end table nearby. She tore off a large strip, stuck it to the copy of Dracula, and fastened the book underneath the kitchen table. Please hold, she thought. When the men had finished, her apartment was a disaster. Clothes, books, and the rest of her belongings had been unceremoniously thrown onto every conceivable surface. But when the man in the suit came back to the table, he wasn't smiling. Please hold. Please hold. Please hold. We didn't find anything, this time, Miss Webb. Please hold, please hold, please hold. But we'll be back. And in the meantime, if you speak with your uncle, tell him we're looking for him. And with that, the man in the suit and his goons walked out the front door and departed. Thank God, Ella thought. It held. Phrasing, Germany. September 28th, 2009. The Holy Father walked slowly up the center aisle of the Phrasing Cathedral just after midnight. He left his driver outside in the car, telling him that he wanted a few moments alone for reflection and prayer. He wished it were true. As he reached the front of the sanctuary, he looked up at the altar and thought back to his ordination. It had been right there, right up in front of him, where he had said his vows and become a priest. Years later, he stood there again, celebrating Mass as Archbishop. He had been so proud in both of those moments. But this time, well, this time was different. 
The Holy Father looked around, waiting for the man he was supposed to meet. He is a man, I suppose, after a fashion, he mused. That's not all he is, though. He shuddered at the thought. Where was he? The Holy Father had come four hours from Prague, through the evening darkness, for this meeting, and he had to be back in time to make his way to the next stop on his trip around the Czech Republic. But he had known this time would come, and he knew he could do nothing now but wait. He had put this meeting off for far too long. And then, as if from nowhere, the man appeared. He was tall, with a black mustache and ruddy features. He had a scar across his forehead. But most unsettling were his eyes. In the low light of the darkened cathedral, they shone violently red. Greetings, Father. You've been avoiding me. He calls me Father, the Pope thought. No one has called me that for years. He's showing that he doesn't respect me. But what am I to do? The Holy Father nodded without thinking. He was too focused on the man's eyes. I need your blessing, Father. What does he mean, he needs my blessing? But when the man held out a small vial of water, the Holy Father understood, or at least understood what the man wanted him to do. He needs to be blessed with holy water? But why? Without another thought, he formed the sign of the cross over the vial of water, blessing it, and then removed the top. He reached out, avoiding direct contact with the red eyes, and poured the holy water over the man's head. The man smiled and nodded. Thank you, Father. You may go. Eager to leave, the Holy Father nodded and started walking down the aisle to the exit. But before he could reach the door, the man spoke again. The servant of the servants of God. That's what they call you, right? The Holy Father looked back, confused. The servant of the servants of God was part of his honorific, a reminder that his role as Pope was to serve, not to be served. But why did this man care about that? Despite his confusion, he nodded. Well, Father, just know this. Now, before anyone else, you are a servant of mine. This podcast was created using Knight's Black Agents, written by Kenneth Height and published by Pelgrane Press, and is based on an adventure written by Gareth Ryder Hanrahan called The Harker Intrusion. The podcast also uses material from The Dracula Dossier, written by Kenneth Height and Gareth Ryder Hanrahan, and music from Dust and Mirrors, written by James Seppel. All of these are used under the Pelgrane Press limited community use policy. Our intro music was composed and produced by Jean-Luc Bouchard. You can find more information about the nature of my game podcast at NOMG Podcast on Twitter and Instagram or at nomgpodcast.com.